0: These popular party palaces are places where we go to see and be seen, to mingle, to momentarily escape from the mundane. But only if you can get past the burly bouncers guarding the velvet ropes. Calling all club goers, dress up, the DJ and dance floor await. We're going clubbing in New York City on today's episode of FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. En inglés. You got it. it. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of FYI. I just want to take a moment to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you guys for making this podcast so popular and not just in Spain. I've got some new statistics or stats, as we call them, and uh, I want to send a shout out, un saludo, to our friends in Romania. That's right, we are in position number two in the language learning category in Romania. So a shout out to all my Romanian friends. Obviously in Spain, we're also in the top 10. We're at position number six. So thank you so much to all my amigos in Spain. Uh, In the Dominican Republic, or DR as we say, we're in position number seven as far as language learning is concerned. As far as is in cuanto a, as far as it's concerned. In cuanto a language learning, aprendizaje de idioma. So shout out to all our friends uh, who are tuning in from Romania, Spain, Dominican Republic, Nicaragua on the list, Colombia, and so many other places. Thank you so much, guys, and uh, I really, really appreciate it. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for spreading the word. And remember, keep sending me your suggestions. All right, well, today we're going to party. Are you guys ready to party? festejar? I know I am, especially after this lockdown. We've been locked down for so long. I think I'm itching to get out. Itching to estengo el mono. I'm itching to get out and party a little bit. And uh, I have to say something. I used to be a night owl. Uh, A night owl is somebody who functions better at night as opposed to a morning person, somebody who functions better in the morning. But when I was growing up, I was a night owl. I can't say the same anymore. But I still remember those days, and every time I think back, it's just uh, a wonderful memory of dancing, partying, and having fun until the wee hours of the morning. The wee hours of the morning is la madrugada. Remember, if you guys want to express this idea in English, uh, we were partying until 5 a.m. You could say 5 in the morning, but it would just be easier to say a.m. So, are you guys ready to party? Great. Let's take a look at our intro. As always, I like to use a lot of alliteration. And uh, I said these popular party palaces. Now, careful with this word popular. He oído mucha gente decir popular. And it's popular. The U is pronounced like the letter U. Popular party Palaces And a palace is obviously un palacio. And there are places where we go to see and be seen. And this is very interesting because there's something in New York that we call people watching. And what is people watching? Well, it's just checking out all the interesting people that are walking around New York or walking around a club in this case. The next word I said is to mingle, and to mingle means to mix with people. I always say this word, I teach another word when I teach this word, and that's a wallflower. A wallflower is that person who's at a party, and they're just hanging out in the corner, not talking to anybody. And that's when one of your friends says, hey, Alberto, come on, let's mingle. Vamos a mezclar, vamos a socializar. And then I said to momentarily, that's right, momentarily, por un momento, escape from the mundane. And this is an interesting word because it reminds me of the Spanish word mundo. But the word mundane means rutinario. It's something that's boring. It's routine. It's everyday. And that's something that nightclubs can do. They can take you to another place, even if it's just for one night or for one moment. But it's not that simple. Yeah, well, I have to say, in New York at least, they have strict door policies. And what is a door policy? That means the people that they let into a club. And a lot of times it doesn't have to do with how much money you have or anything like that. It's all about the way you look or the vibe that you give off. The vibe is las vibraciones, la energía. So uh, you have to get past the burly bouncers. I use these words on purpose. Burly. What does the word burly mean? Well, burly means big, fornido, fuerte, strong. And a bouncer, un botador, literalmente, a bouncer is the person who is standing in front of the club and deciding who can come in and who can't come in. I think you call them gorillas in Spain. Uh, portero is the real word, but yes, these burly bouncers that are guarding the velvet ropes. And the velvet ropes son estas cuerdas de terciopelo. You see them a lot of times uh, in front of a club. Then I said, calling all club goers. Now, this is an interesting word because a club goer is somebody who goes to a nightclub. So then, what is a church goer? You guessed it. Somebody who goes to church regularly. And a party goer? That's right, somebody who goes to parties very often. So, take a look at this suffix, goers, calling all club goers. I used to be a club goer. Uh, Now, if I have to think about it, I don't remember the last time I went into a club. Then I said, dress up. Now, to dress up is to dress formal, right? It's the opposite of dressing down. To dress down is to dress more casual. Don't do that. In a club, it's always better to dress up. They want you to look sharp. Then I said, the DJ and the dance floor await. Nos esperan el DJ y la pista de baile. You can call it the floor or the dance floor, which is a very logical word in English. And obviously, the word DJ stands for disc jockey. So we're going clubbing, guys. Are you ready to go clubbing? Eso es. Ir de discotecas is to go clubbing. Remember, we don't call it a discoteque. It sounds like it's like very 70s, very... It's not a common way to say it. We call it a nightclub, or for short, a club and going clubbing is the idea of going to different clubs. And as I said, I used to be a club goer in New York City in one of the most amazing moments in club history. And as always, I'm going to tell you about my personal experiences here on the show today. So I talked about that velvet rope and I. I remember in New York, that was like such a big thing. It wasn't easy to get into some of the hottest clubs. You either had to know somebody or be on a VIP list. Remember in English, we don't say the word veep. We say VIP the same way we don't say R E M, rem, we say R E M, right? We don't say thea, we say C I A. We don't say theo, we say C E O. Do you catch my drift? I have to say I was pretty lucky because uh, I didn't get turned down too much because I usually went with a group of good-looking people. I had a few connections, and, uh, well, I don't remember getting turned down at a club very often. And, yes, like many Americans, I had a fake ID. A fake ID is una identificación Falsa. Because remember, in the United States, you have to be 21 to drink alcohol. And I wasn't going to wait till I was 21 to go to a club. So, uh, of course, as many Americans, uh, I had a fake ID. The word is identification, but we usually say ID, which would be the equivalent in Spanish of your DNI. Your DNA. So, remember, in English, we don't have a DNI, we have an ID. And many times, your ID in the United States is your driver's license. Okay, so we got past the bouncers. We're in the club now, and now I'm telling you the night is about to begin. I think the hardest part was getting in. Once you were in, you felt like you were a part of a special club. You felt like you belonged, como si pertenecieras a algo. And I think that was one of the most interesting things about clubbing in New York City in the mid-90s and early 90s. You didn't feel like you were going there to see people so much, as I said in the intro, but you felt like you were a part of something. And I'll tell you, when you looked around, it was like being on another planet. There were drag queens everywhere and people wearing just this amazing makeup that must have taken them hours to put on and just these elaborate costumes. I'm telling you, it was complete. I felt like I knew what it was like to be at these huge parties that they used to have in ancient Rome. It was epic to say the least. And as I said, I'm going to tell you more about that in the bonus part of today's show. And I just want to remind you guys, if you're interested in listening to the bonus audio every week, and you also want to get the vocabulary in PDF format, all you have to do is go over to my Patreon and join us. It's patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. And as I always tell you guys, if you enjoy this program every week, well, then you have to thank my patrons because they're the ones who make it possible. So thank you to all my patrons and a shout out to my super duper students, Roberto, Jose Maria, Mila, Desiree, Alex, Patricio, Edgar, and Loles. And don't forget about my interstellar students, Carmen, Diego, Pilar, and Diana. Thank you so much for making this possible. Uh, I appreciate it, and I'm sure all the other listeners appreciate it too. If you want more information or have any questions, contact me or check out all the different options at patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. Join us. As always, let's go back and take a look at the history of nightclubs, at least the history of nightclubs in New York City. And the first nightclubs appeared in New York City in the 1840s and 1850s. There were some clubs, one of them was called McGlory's, another one was called the Haymarket. and honestly... I don't remember these, and they don't ring a bell. But uh, these clubs were anything goes. Todo vale. No holds barred, como decimos. Vale todo. No holds barred. Yeah, they had a reputation for these, uh, well, sex, gambling, uh, unlicensed liquor, you know, all that fun stuff. Todo lo divertido. And uh, of course, live music, dance, and vaudeville acts. But these places seemed a bit seedy uh, because, as I said, you could Experience a lot of things that you wouldn't experience just walking down the street. And remember, this was uh, before Prohibition. So uh, it reminds me when I think of these kind of clubs, uh, I think of speakeasies. Have you ever heard of this word before? A speakeasy are these little nightclubs or bars that opened up during Prohibition that you would have to have like a secret code or a knock on the door to get in in. So the 1840s and 50s, well, that's when the first nightclubs appeared. But what's considered the first modern nightclub? Because those were a mix of nightclub, theater, vaudeville. I mean, there was a little bit of everything in there. But what would be the modern nightclub? The nightclub as we know it today? Well, that honor goes to Webster Hall. Webster Hall, which was built in 1886, and it was built as a, nightclub, social hall. Uh, It was a place where you could go dance or stage a political protest. It was up to you. It was a revolutionary place to say the least. And I got to tell you something, I've been to Webster Hall. I was lucky enough to go to this nightclub. Now, when I went to Webster Hall, I had no idea that it was the first club or recognized as the first club. So now I feel lucky, but back then, I just felt lucky to get in the door, as I said before. So in the 1910s and 1920s, Webster Hall became known for its masquerade balls. As I said before, it's all about extravagance, dressing up, you know, looking like you're from another planet. I mean, let's be honest, there's always been this hedonistic aspect around nightclubs. It's a place where you can go to get away from everything mundane and see things that you wouldn't normally see, as well as dance the night away and, who knows, even maybe hook up. To hook up is ligar. <laughs> but then came prohibition, and as many of you know, prohibition put a damper on things. To put a damper on things is como ralentizar. Uh, let's look it up. A damper. D-A-M-P-E-R. To put a damper on stuff is sordina. No. Uh, impedimento. Impedimento. See? I didn't know that one. A damper. It put a damper on things because, well, what do people do at nightclubs? They drink and they dance. But you know what? Webster Hall didn't care. They didn't pay attention. As many people, they did what they wanted. And uh, you could get alcohol at Webster Hall. And a lot of... Local politicians, uh, police officers—they uh, were known to turn a blind eye. This is an expression we've looked at in the past. I think in Spanish you say hacer la vista gorda, and there was even a rumor going around that Al Capone, mobster Al Capone, uh, mobster is otra forma de decir mafioso. In fact, the mob is otra forma de decir la mafia and so it was known that uh al capone that's right one of the most famous or should i say infamous mobsters ever was running the show and uh well i guess uh, who's gonna tell him hey no alcohol (laughs) not me i don't care if i'm the chief of police i'm gonna let al capone do whatever he wants then in 1970, uh, Webster Hall was purchased. Uh, to be purchased is another way to say to be bought. It was purchased by Unity Gallega. That's right, also known as the Casa Galicia. Of New York so there's another thing I didn't know I had no idea about all the history behind Webster Hall when I was dancing over there and I had no idea that Galicia had something to do it so they they bought it and they were using it as a, a cultural organization as well as a nightclub where they could uh, promote uh, promote as fomentar uh, Galician and Spanish culture in the United States and so it's gone through many owners let's say this Athen muchos dueños, And in fact, now it's been leased out to another owner, the Brooklyn Sports uh, Company, something like that it's called. I don't remember the name. But uh, on March 18th, 2008, something very special happened uh, to Webster Hall. And uh, they submitted a proposal to submit, es entregar, I think you say, a proposal uh, to make it a landmark a new york city landmark something that is worth preserving so webster hall uh, a club i used to frequent is a new york city uh, new york city landmark now as of 2008 so as i told you guys uh you're not the only ones learning. I've been to the place a hundred times. Do you think I ever looked up the history of it? And I'm just giving you guys the tip of the iceberg. Why? Well, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. New York is full of amazing clubs. I mean, we didn't even mention Studio 54 yet, but let's not jump the gun. No nos adelantemos. No, 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 no. We've got, before we get to Studio 54, we've got to go to the Cotton Club. Now, the Cotton Club was uh, owned by an English gangster. Hmm, are you seeing a connection here? Gangsters, mobsters, nightclubs, and I think there's even still a connection to this day. Well, do you know what this guy's nickname was? (laughs) Are you ready for this? the killer. Oh my God. Now I know why these places were allowed to do whatever they want. Nobody wanted to mess with them. Nadie quería meterse con ellos. And the Cotton Club was famous for jazz. It brought jazz onto the world stage. People such as Duke Ellington and Ella Fitzgerald and some of the, the greats ...played at this place and became known at this place. And uh, they said this, just like many other nightclubs, was a place where anything goes. People were drinking, people were partying, people were smoking reefer. A reefer is a, another way to say marijuana. In fact, uh, in those days, it was called reefer. And if you listen to a lot of jazz songs, you'll see that word in there because, well, they were partying, they were smoking, they were drinking. And the Cotton Club was a place where Everything went. You could do whatever you wanted uh, and see some of the amazing artists, upcoming artists, no? Benideros. Uh, and uh, as always, so, you know, we're, we're talking about nightclubs as a place where there's hedonism, where there's drugs and alcohol, but they're also centers for culture. Obviously, if people like Duke Ellington and, you know, these these greats were there every night, well, I mean, this is not just a cultural institution. This is a historical institution, the Cotton Club in New York City. And the decor was very important too. In fact, the Cotton Club looked like a plantation from the South. It, I mean, they, they really decorated it nicely. And that was an important thing too. So you need a good sound system, you needed some good artists, uh, later a DJ, and of course you needed some cool decor. The place needed to look like it was out of this world. Another way we say extraordinary in English. And speaking of extraordinary, there's no place that was more out of this world than Studio 54. Now, Studio 54, uh, which is located at uh, West 54th Street, uh, was owned by Steve Rubel and Ian Schrager. And they converted this opera house, it used to be an opera house, into the most notorious nightclub ever ever. And this was during the disco era, as many of you know. And if you want more information on Studio 54, there are documentaries, movies, and books written on this subject, because it was a who's who of famous people. A who's who. Quien es quien. I think you say the same thing in Spanish. And when they asked Steve Rubel, like, what made this place so amazing, aside from the decor? Well, He said, and I quote, "...the key to a good party is filling a room with guests that are more interesting than you. And he knew how to do that. Uh, Mick Jagger, Cher. I mean, it was a who's who, as I said. Anybody who was anybody was going to Studio 54. David Bowie, Andy Warhol. The list is endless. It was decadent, though. And I remember the word decadent in New York sometimes is used as a positive word. Because when something is decadent, it's obviously going to fall, right? Decaer makes sense. But also decadent meant it was at its height. Estaba en su apogeo. So it was a decadent place until the IRS showed up. Now, what is the IRS? The IRS is the Internal Revenue Service. I think you call them Hacienda, the tax office. Yeah, they showed up in 1979 and they shut it down. To shut it down is para siempre. They shut it down. Uh, well, they had been trying for a long time because, as you know, even if you don't have proof, aunque no tengas pruebas, you can imagine that there is some illegal activity going on at nightclubs, as we've seen in all the clubs we've looked at so far. Now, the reason they closed it down was because they found garbage bags full of money and drugs that were stashed, to be stashed is to be hidden, All over the club. And uh, yeah, you know what? That reminds me of another club that I went to. Uh, And I believe that that was the next Studio 54. In fact, I remember reading articles about this club. The club is called the Limelight and I used to go to the Limelight almost every weekend. So I'll be telling you all about that in the bonus part of today's show. So we talked about jazz clubs, we talked about disco clubs, but what about rock clubs? Because New York has a history of rock clubs as well. And there's none more famous than CBGB's. Now, I imagine many of you have seen this T-shirt. It's a black T-shirt with the word CBGB, which stands for Country, Bluegrass, and Blues. And I remember going to CBGB as well. Now, it's a clothing store now. Ahora una tienda de ropa. As many of these clubs have closed down. But CBGBs. Oh man, that place, it was grimy. Grimy means like dirty, comugre. It was smelly. Oh, man, I remember it's, it smelled like puke, Pucus vomitus. Uh, it was sweaty. It, it was it was disgusting. Why would you want to go there? Well, because it was the epicenter of punk rock music. Groups such as the Ramones, uh, the Talking Heads, Patti Smith, all of these avant-garde artists. Avant-garde is a la vanguardia. Well, these avant-garde artists, punk rock artists, I should say, got their start there at CBGBs. And as I said, it closed its doors in 2006. And uh, that was the end of a New York institution. It's sad, but uh, nobody will be able to experience CBGBs again. And I remember even, you know, a friend's band was playing there, El Grupo de un Amigo. And I remember going down to the bathroom and feeling like don't touch anything. (laughs) You know, I felt like, don't touch the walls. Don't touch the toilet. Don't touch anything. But you know what? It didn't matter. It was an institution. The groups that played the stage were punk rock and the place was punk rock. The place had its own attitude. It had its own vibe. And I think that's what made CBGBs what it was. The next one on our list is Danceteria. Now, this is one I, I had not been to. This was the first of the mega clubs. See, when I went to clubs, it was the early 90s, and the mega club was everything. I mean, if you didn't have four dance floors, you were nobody, and Danceteria had four dance floors. Uh, it was this huge club where you can just see people. And when I say people, I mean uh, The Cure, Depeche Mode, The Beastie Boys, Billy Idol. A lot of these people got their starts there. Uh, to get your start there is Tus comienzos. And you know who else got their start there? You might recognize her name. Maybe it rings a bell. Madonna. That's right, Madonna didn't just party there, but she performed live there in 1982. And this was, uh, this was obviously the beginning of the end, because after that, Madonna blew up. Now, when I say blow up there, I don't mean, boom. I mean blow up to become very popular. And danceateria was cool because it was a mixed crowd. As the clubs we talked about before, it was a specific kind of crowd. It was rockers, it was disco people. Well, not danceateria. Danceateria, you could find all kinds of characters walking around this club. And do you know why? Because it got all the after-hours groups, all these people that were going to Studio 54, CBGB, other hip-hop clubs, gay bars. Well, once they closed, well, where would everybody go? Danceteria, and it became this melting pot—a melting pot, as un crisol. We talk about New York as being a melting pot, but Danceteria was a melting pot inside of a melting pot, and uh, it was madness. Locura. If these walls could talk, means kind of uh, han visto de todo. Estas paredes. An visto de todo. And as I said before, with Danceteria came the mega club. Now it wasn't about having a little nightclub. It was about bigger, better, bolder, mas audaz. And that was the way. And when I started going to clubs, that's the clubs I went to. I went to clubs with four floors, with hidden rooms. And I'm going to tell you all about those in the bonus part of the show. So why aren't we seeing those? clubs anymore in New York. Why Why don't we see these mega clubs? What led to their downfall? Su caída, their downfall. Well, New York had a mayor, un alcalde, and his name might ring a bell, Rudolph Giuliani. Yeah, not a popular figure. Well, he decided that he was going to go to war with all these clubs, he wanted to clean up New York City, and he felt that one of the ways that he could clean up New York City was getting rid of deshaciéndose de their clubs. So he went after evapor. He went after all these club owners and all these clubs, and he was successful. He was able to close down so many clubs using a law, an outdated law, una ley que ya no vale realmente, which was a racist law, which required a place to have a cabaret license. And what is a cabaret license? It's a license that says that you can dance there. And it was pretty absurd because I remember going to a bar, uh, kind of a bar, you know, it was a bar. It wasn't a club, it was a bar, and they had signs on the wall. Tenían letreros. And it said, no dancing. We don't have a cabaret license. And I thought it was a joke. I said, you can't, I mean, what is dancing? If I just shake my, my hips or, I mean, what is considered dancing? So, you know, he used these outdated laws to go after these clubs and the club owners. And I understand, I understand he was trying to clean up the drugs and all that stuff. But remember, if people want to do stuff, they're gonna keep doing it no matter what. Pase lo que pase. And now in New York City, I guess there are some big clubs still. But after that, I think uh, lounges became more popular. It was more popular to go to a small place a more intimate place where you could talk and, well, you weren't as uh, crowded in there. It wasn't like, you know, we say in English, you weren't packed in there like sardines. And uh, it changed the, the whole idea of a club into the 2000s and 2000s and 2010s, and and who knows what the future holds. I'm excited to see if these mega clubs will return one day. Now, I imagine it'll have to be post-COVID era, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing these mega clubs again, even if I'm not going to be attending them personally. Now, to attend is assisted. Remember, we don't say assist, we say attend. To assist is to help. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. But don't worry, guys. There's a bonus part of the show. It's available for patrons. Remember, if you're not a patron and you just want a sample... Drop me a line, and I'll send you the bonus the bonus audio, no strings attached, sin compromiso. If you like it, well, we can talk after that. All right, so in the bonus part of today's show, I'm going to tell you about the king of club land. I'm going to tell you about murder, extradition, and all this crazy stuff that happened when I was going to clubs. I'll tell you about it from my firsthand experience. All that and much more in the bonus part of today's. F. Y. I.